Dads, we know you, like moms, have a tough job. Amen? You have your work cut out for you. And uh, kids are always hitting you up for money. That's when they're really nice to you. Come and tell you how good your tie looks for church. What do you need? You know? I found a funny story about three boys in the schoolyard who were bragging about their fathers. The first boy says, My dad scribbles a few words on a piece of paper. He calls it a poem. And then they give him $50. The second boy says, That's nothing. My dad scribbles a few words on a piece of paper. He calls it a song. And they give him $100. The last boy said, I got you both beat. My dad scribbles a few words on a piece of paper. He calls it a sermon, and it takes eight people to collect the money. (laughs) The impressions that some little kids have. I don't mind starting off in a lighthearted way. It's tough to talk about some of the realities in our nation, but things... Are true what's going on among families and among dads. And I'm thankful for the dads that are here today. But in the rest of the world, in the rest of the United States, the case is not the same. Let me share with you some information on how pertinent this message is today. I found out doing some research that 40% of children in America do not have a dad in the home. 40%. 63% of youth suicides are from fatherless homes. 85% of children who exhibit exhibit behavioral disorders are from fatherless homes. 71% of high school dropouts come from homes without a dad. Children from low-income two-parent families outperform students from high-income single-parent homes. And lastly, 70% of juveniles in state-operated institution come from fatherless homes. More than ever in the history of the world, there is a precedent upon fathers to be leaders in their homes. My message today is entitled this, The Faith of a Father. Let's turn to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 5. We're going to look at the story of a faithful father. Mark chapter 5, we're going to start in verse 21. And then after a few verses, we're going to fast forward to verse 35. Let me start in verse 21. It says, Now when Jesus had crossed over again by the boat to the other side, a great multitude gathered to him, and he was by the sea. And behold, one of the rulers of the synagogue came, Jairus by name. And when he saw him, he fell at his feet and begged him earnestly, saying, My little daughter lies at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her, that she may be healed. And she Will live. Now I want you to fast forward to verse 35. 
While he was still speaking, some came from the ruler of the synagogue's house who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? As soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not be afraid, only believe. And he permitted no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. Then he came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and saw a tumult and those who wept and wailed loudly. When he came in, he said to them, Why make all this commotion and weep? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they ridiculed him. But when he had put them all outside, he took the father and the mother of the child and those who were with him and entered where the child was lying. Then he took the child by the hand and said to her, Talitha kumi, which is translated, little girl, I say to you, arise. Immediately the girl arose and walked, for she was 12 years of age, and they were overcome with amazement. But he commanded them strictly that no one should know it and said that something should be giving her to eat. Not only is this a great story about the uh, story about the healing power of Jesus, but this is also great evidence of the testimony of a father that had faith. The first thing that I want to point out to you this morning in the scriptures is that the father was the religious leader of the home. See, it starts out uh, in verse 21, says, Behold, one of the rulers of the synagogue came, Jairus, by name. In our society, this would have been maybe one of the head deacons or even one of the head pastors. This is how uh, high he was in the religious community. And if he was that high in the religious community, I imagine he was that much of a religious leader in his own household. The father in this story was the religious leader of the home. And he was very prominent in the community. But nothing was more prominent, nothing was more important here than the, than the life of his own daughter. You see, he made a, a public spectacle of himself. He would have been a great reserved synagogue leader. Very religious, very... Following the law. But all that was cast aside when he came seeking Jesus and fell at his feet. Nothing at that time was more important than the life of his daughter. No, no social status. No social prominence. It didn't matter what people thought about him. When we stop worrying about what people think and start worrying about what God think, thinks, we'll see Jesus do something. He risked losing his position as a leader of the synagogue by approaching Jesus. You see, the leaders in the synagogue didn't like Jesus because he preached a radical message against what they believed. Imagine that. Imagine Jesus preaching something different than the religious people. They didn't like Jesus at all. Matter of fact, they were the ones that went and crucified him. What he did is approaching, uh, in approaching Jesus is he was basically risking losing his position as leader of the synagogue. Because all the synagogue leaders would have seen him. And would have said, we have no part to do with that Jesus. He preaches a message against what we stand for. But none of that mattered when it came to, to faith. And when it came to his family. When it came to being a leader. You know, dads, you may, you may start losing friends when you begin making the right decisions for your family. Following Jesus is not the status quo. It's not the popular thing to do anymore. It probably won't impress your neighbors, but it will impress angels. 
Your neighbors won't be the one that you're, you're, you're praising for eternity. Your neighbors can't heal your daughter. Your neighbors can't, can't save your wayward son. But God can. But Jesus can. You know, as I think about the father being the religious leader of the home, I also think about, about dads and men being religious leaders in the church. As I was doing some research, I found out that, that the majority of Sunday school teachers in the church are women. In my time in ministry, I found this to be true. The statistics I found said that 87% of Sunday school teachers are women. Now, don't get me wrong. Don't crucify me. I believe women have the gift of teaching just like men. But the question we must ask is, why are more women stepping up to the plate than men? That's the question we need to ask. And I know many of you mothers uh, have probably told your children, wait till your father gets home. Right? That line's been used. Because a dad is a leader. The dad is seen as a disciplinarian. The root of discipline is disciple. Dads, you can discipline. You normally carry that rod of authority. But don't just do it when it comes to punishment. Do it when it comes to instructing in righteousness. That's the same discipline as this other thing. Both of them work together to produce a child of faith. And some women say, wait till your father gets home. But then when the dad is home and the child spills something, the dad says, wait till your mother gets home. Back when I was studying for the Mother's Day message, I was trying to research what the Bible said to mothers. And you know what I found? Not much. Here's what I found. Everything that the scriptures was instructing was directed towards the father's. Anytime God was giving instruction on parenting and and child raising, it was directed towards the fathers. But our society uh, uh, heralds the goofy dad, the lazy dad. You can watch any media show and the dad's just goofy. You know, he's he's weird, he's, he's comical, but he's not a leader. And what happens is we spend so much time watching what the society says a dad looks at that that's what we start becoming. Instead of start looking at what God says a dad looks like. Whichever one you spend the most time with is what you become like. If you spend the most time seeing what society tells you you should be as a father, that's what you'll be like. But if you spend more of your time seeing what God says a father should be, then that will define who you are. So first of all, the father must be the religious leader of the home. And secondly, the father must be willing to go where others won't. You know, if there's a plumbing leak under the house in the crawl space, you don't normally see mom crawling up under there. Mom says, honey, get under the house. And if he's a smart man, he says, yes, dear. 
The dad will normally go places no one else can go. When the, the uh, transmission is leaking or, or the engine is leaking, dad's got to get up there underneath the car, get dirty and filthy. The dad normally goes places other people aren't willing to go. The same is true when it comes to religion, when it comes to Christianity. Dad, you've got to go places that no one else is willing to go. And what I mean by that is going to the feet of Jesus. See, when Jairus came up into the religious scene, you had a great crowd following him. Now, a respectable man could have said, Oh, great Jesus, come and heal my daughter. But he didn't do that. No, 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 no. This father, he was desperate. He went straight to Jesus' feet. Says, it says the scripture, he begged and pleaded. The feet of Jesus is not a popular place. It's not an entertaining place. You know, when you see commercials for Father's Day, what do you see Dad doing? He's normally on the grill. Hey, neighbors. He's normally mowing the yard. And that's what Dad does in society. But how many commercials do you see of Dad's in the prayer closet? None. Because society doesn't like to, like to uplift that. Prayer is a weak thing. That's what society thinks. Jesse Ventura, he said, Christianity is for the weak. Well, he may be right. Because in our weakness, Jesus is made strong. See? In order for you to go to the feet of Jesus, Dad, you must first get over yourself. You know, I know that, that we've grown up with this masculine image of uh, uh, the man doesn't need to ask for help. The man doesn't need to ask for directions. You know, dad will drive 50 miles before he stops at the gas station to ask for directions. Right? It's Christmas Eve and dad's got to put together a present. Four hours later, there are parts all over the floor. The wife says, honey, why don't you open the instructions? You know, dads are trained not to ask for help. But you've got to get over yourself. You've got to realize you can't do this. You've got to realize you're not going to figure this out. You've got to realize the sports heroes don't have much wisdom when it comes to the most important thing in life, and that is raising your children. If the number of dads who memorize sports statistics would memorize scripture, we would see a revolution in this country. We would see a revolution in the church. One translation I read says that, that Jairus went to the feet of Jesus and was pleading with him. You see, Father, you, you must not just be a leader, you must also be a pleader. Someone who goes into intercessory prayer... On behalf of your whole family, wife included, and begs Jesus to outpour protection, wisdom, and guidance in your family's life. Because if you try to do it alone, you will fail. How often have we as dads gotten on our knees to plead with Jesus for the salvation of our children? But we think it's the preacher's job. We think it's uh, uh, the school system that's caused them to go astray. Let me tell you something. Ultimately, dads, when we get to heaven, we'll be held accountable for how we raised our children. 
This is what I used to say as a youth pastor. I used to tell parents, say, parents, I am not responsible for raising your children. You are. I'll give an account of what I taught, but the parent will give an account of how they walked, how they led by example, and what kind of children they raised. It's not the church's job to raise children. It's not the youth pastor's job to raise children. It's the father's job to raise children. If we want the Christian church to take a stand, we must get the fathers on their knees. You know, anytime you... The last church I was at, uh, they had a wild game supper. I mean, it was awesome. We ate alligator and we ate pheasant and quail and and venison chili and all kind of things. Man, we had 400 dads come out. But then we would have a prayer meeting. And maybe eight would show up. You see, we've got to be willing to go where others aren't willing to go. For the sake of our children. I hear a lot of dads say... I want to give my children the things I never had. I believe this should be true. Give them an example. Give them a mission. And give them Jesus. Because most children have never had those things. Dad, only you can give that to them. The greatest thing that you can provide for your family is not just food on the table, but your heart on the altar. That's the greatest thing you can do for your kids. That's the greatest thing you can do for your wife. My dad, he built the house I grew up in. A very honorable thing. His dad, before him, built the house they grew up in. And they are both still standing today. So they did a pretty good job. So dads, I speak to you when I say, you must bear the burden of building your godly house. See, I'm not as smart as my my grandpa was or my dad was at swinging a hammer. But I still plan on building a house. And I plan on building it with this tool right here. And hopefully, it will long last me. I also know that in our audience that there are some godly single mothers here that are raising your children. Listen, this message is not meant to discourage you as a mother. You keep on doing what you are doing. But to the dads that are here, statistics have shown that you have an impact in your family so powerful that even the gates of hell won't shake it. Dad, you be like the man that Jesus talked about in Matthew 7, 24. He says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. You see, dads, it's not by your own power that you instruct your family, but it's on the foundation of the gospel. We can be confident in this, that a dad who builds his family on the foundation of the word of God, the family will not be shaken. The father, he must be willing to go where others have not gone. The father must be the religious leader of the home. And lastly, the father must be willing to endure ridicule. I want you to look at the scripture once more. It says in verse 35, while Jesus was still speaking, that some came from the ruler of the synagogue's household and said, Listen, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher anymore? They said, listen, listen, your daughter's already dead. Don't, your daughter's already dead. Don't bother Jesus anymore. 
And then once Jesus got to his house, Jesus came in, he said to them, why are you making all this commotion? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And what does it say the people did? The people laughed at him. They laughed at Jesus. They laughed at this father following Jesus. This father following this man who said, she's not really dead. She's sleeping. They told him not to bother Jesus. They laughed at him. But fathers have to be willing to endure ridicule. Don't listen to the instructions of the crowd. Listen to Christ. The crowd will tell you that your, your son or daughter is, is beyond hope. But Jesus says, don't be afraid. Just believe. Do you realize that the miracle that Jesus performed that day is the same miracle that happens when God brings the new life of salvation into your children? Some of you say, how is that, Pastor? All of our children are born spiritually dead. Ephesians 2.5 says that we were dead in our trespasses. But listen, we serve a God who can raise the dead, amen? Even when you think that your children are beyond saving, and we, even when you think that all hope is lost, know that we serve a miracle God. It will truly take a miracle to save every one of our children. And that indeed is God's will. You see, after Jesus raised that girl from the dead... It says that they were overcome with great amazement. Every time one of our children gets saved, we should be overcome with great amazement. Because it's by the grace and the favor and the will of God that they become saved. It is truly a miracle that we who were born dead in our trespasses go from death to life. Only by the power of the Holy Spirit. Dad, you can't do that. You must rely on God. You must rely on God for that. Even when others laugh, the father must still believe. They came to the house and they laughed at Jesus. But I believe that father never lost hope. That father knew that Jesus could do whatever he wanted to do. And he was still following Jesus all the way into the house. Even to the point where Jesus said, listen, all you naysayers, all you complainers, get out of the way. Sometimes the complainers have to get out of the way for Jesus to come in and do a work. They came in. The people who were laughing. Listen, listen, the people who were laughing, they won't hear your daughter. The men at work who, who laugh at you because uh, uh, you, won't, you won't take your son or daughter to see a certain movie. Listen, they won't see, they won't heal your daughter. The people who laugh at you because you go to a, a Bible study on Friday nights instead of down to the bar, they're not going to save your daughter. There will be days, Dad, when you are empty, when you are drained, and when you are powerless to lead your family. But it's in those days that you will look with the most intensity to Jesus, and those will be your most profitable days. Jairus' most profitable day was when he realized he could do nothing. And he looked at Jesus for everything. You know, Dad, you can walk about strong and, and confident and arrogant, but until you realize that it's by Jesus' help alone that your family will be who it needs to be, only then will we see miracles. When we rely on Christ alone and not on our own strength, He is glorified. 
Sometimes before bedtime, we'll, I'll say, Bella, go take your clothes off. Get ready to put your PJs on. And Bella will t- start taking her shirt off and it'll get stuck. And she will struggle and struggle and struggle till she starts crying. Without asking for help. And finally, I'll hear her in her bedroom just crying. And she's in there stuck in her t-shirt, just fighting. I'm like, Bella, why don't you just ask for help? But she wants to do it on her own. Ain't that how kids are? I want to do it. But do you know that God is the same way? God doesn't want to see you struggling to the point that you break down. God doesn't want to see you struggling by yourself to the point that you have nothing left. Maybe if beforehand we just turn to God and say, God, I can't do it by myself. I need you today. Maybe we wouldn't struggle so much. Maybe we wouldn't walk around so depressed all the time. Maybe we wouldn't wouldn't see the problems in our household if we'd get up every day and say, God, I'm going to let you do it today because I'm unworthy. I'm not capable. We need Joshua 24, 15 dads who will say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. It's going to be tough. It's a job only a dad can do. But it's worth it. Listen, I know... I know the uh, only you can get out there and show them how to throw a football the right way. I know only you can show them how to change the brake pads. But it's also only you, Dad, that's going to be able to show your son a godly example for what a man's supposed to be. And it's also you, Dad, who's going to give your daughter an image of what a man needs to be like. A lot of these daughters in the world are walking around with men they don't need to be with because they never saw a dad who's supposed to be what he needs to be. And they don't know. And they're with trashy guys. But we can prevent that if we will show them an example of what a dad needs to be. Amen? Now listen, I don't want anyone to walk away downtrodden and feeling bad because, you know what, you haven't been doing what you're supposed to be. The great thing is, from this point on, you can be a different person. From this point on, you can make a resolution for change. You can look to Jesus right now, say, God, I know I've messed up. God, I know I've done it bad. But Lord, you can still do it right. Listen, God can fix every problem that you've made. God can remove every mistake that you've made. That is the miracle of salvation in itself. That's what repentance is. We've done it all wrong. But God can still do it right. We're going to have a time of invitation. First of all, the most important thing here today is if there's someone here that's never entered into a personal relationship with the Heavenly Father, there's no better day to do that than on Father's Day. To look to a Heavenly Father and say, God, I messed up, but won't you be my daddy forever and ever? Secondly, at the time of our invitation, I want the altar to be opened up for dads to come and plead with Jesus for our families, for our children. I would like to see an altar full of dads today. And lastly, 
Maybe if you're a Christian, you're going through this road of life, you realize you can't do it by yourself. You know you need to get plugged into a discipling church. Maybe you can come on this Father's Day and say, I want to be a part of this church here in Concord, North Carolina. I'd like to join. Whatever it is, we're going to have a time of prayer, a time of invitation. We thank you for taking the time to listen to this resource. If you would like to talk with one of our staff for any need that is in your life, maybe a prayer request or something going on with your family, you can get in touch with us at www.concordfriendship.org. Be blessed.